And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone, and welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me, and I hope, maybe, possibly, that little audio bug is no longer with us. I don't know. We're gonna see. I I did some I did some tweaking last night on the computer, and hopefully. I don't sound like I'm in a tin can anymore, so uh, good to have everybody here. The live chat is open. We are broadcasting to YouTube, Facebook, and Odyssey from our super secret underground bunker at World Headquarters. Good to have all of you here. We are also available on a number of different podcast players, uh, so you can check us out there. And uh, one of these days, we may actually also have a print magazine. In the meantime, you can find reviews and articles and think pieces over at scififorme.com. And one of those one of those things, one of these days at some point, we may enter the crowdfunding arena again. Our first entry didn't really all work all that much, but in the meantime, uh, we're going to keep doing what we do here. We're on all the social media. We've got a newsletter you can sign up for. So uh, all of those things are going on in a in a regular fashion, and uh, like uh, like Mazers there says, don't forget to like and subscribe. If you're new, we do invite you to hit that subscribe button and the notification bell, and we'll see what happens. As long as we keep doing what we're doing and people keep showing up, we're gonna keep doing it. So, all right, today on the program, we're talking about a new book that just started on Indiegogo as a campaign that launched, I believe, last week, Long Shadow and the Prince of Echoes. This is a high fantasy pulp novel by Mike Murphy. He joins us uh, today for a conversation about this. So, Mike, uh, first of all, good to have you back. Welcome. Thanks. Good to be here. So, um, the usual campaign on Indiegogo, when we're talking about this stuff, a lot of times we're talking about comic books. Mm. This time, not so much. We are looking at a, a, a pulp novel in, yes. in the in the style of the stuff from the 1930s, those those action adventure uh, romps, I guess you could say, from the 1930s, and pulp. Uh, for those of you who are not uh, familiar with the pulp novels, the reason they were called that is because of the kind of paper they were printed on. It's a very cheap dime store type of uh, of material. And the types of stories that were told were the, you know, the Conan the Barbarian and, and, and that sort of thing. The, the, the action-adventure, the He-Man, you know, swashbuckling, sword and sorcery and, and such. And it looks like you've got quite a bit of that going here, just from, just from the cover. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got an ogre with a sword. There's a castle. Okay, so, so let me know. Tell me what Long Shadow... And the Prince of Echoes is about, and we'll go from there. Sure, yeah. Let's uh, let's start off with the pitch. 
So, uh, Long Shadow is your new favorite detective, ogre for hire, uh, solving mysteries and slaying monsters across the kingdom of Elos. Uh, in this first volume, Long Shadow is hired by a mysterious woman with mystical abilities to uh, tr travel to the forgotten lands of old. <clears throat> sorry, something in my throat. Uh, of old country and hunt down the Prince of Echoes. Uh, a vile beast leaving only death and destruction in its wake. Uh, the book is a throwback to the days of pulp, uh, un-PC action and adventure uh, filled with um, violent action, gorgeous women, deadly dudes, and thrilling exploits that kept pages turning for years back in the day. Uh, you know, with this modern push of... Uh, crowdfunding, you know, I've seen the return of fun to storytelling and I wanted to pay homage to the genre that started it all. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the base book is 20 bucks. There's also a prequel novella, uh, called a murder in Amber glass, uh, which, you know, I'll, I'll talk about what Amber glass is, uh, in a minute. Uh, so there's also the prequel novella, uh, that contains spot illustrations as well. So it's also technically a pulp. And uh, to anyone listening out there that is maybe, um, you know, less less inclined to check out, you know, a prose novel, um, what I would suggest is that there's there's something about the blending of, you know, black and white illustrations along with the prose that kind of made Pulps feel special and unique. And um, it's it's kind of this, you know, still artistic little package that you get. So, um, you know, I hope everyone out there will consider checking it out. So these are, uh, this, this book is illustrated. It's got some, it's <clears> got <throat> line art sketches in throughout the, throughout the pages of the story. Uh, it, and yes. I've, I've run across that. I think, uh, some of the, some of Anne McCaffrey's Dragon Riders books even do that. So it's not an unknown practice, uh, modern era, let's say, but it is like you say, this whole, this whole dynamic is a throwback in yeah. terms of style and aesthetic. There's a, there's a very specific tone, uh, that comes from all of this. So what made you decide, I mean, you, you mentioned this is un PC action adventure, you know, that kind of thing. What made right. you decide to go with a prose novel, uh, for a campaign as opposed to an another comic book because you've got another uh, uh, you've got a number of comic book campaigns that you've mm -hmm. done already mm -hmm. uh, you are on here talking about deep well you've also got the gods fear me uh, why uh, why a novel now so basically um, you know we spent most of uh, 2021 in production hell uh, there were a couple hiccups with two of our books um, you know, we've ironed those out. Uh, we just finished fulfillment on the God's Fear Me, and we're going to be going into fulfillment March-ish on Deepwell. And we have a number of high-profile releases this year. Uh, somewhere around April or May, we'll be launching Deepwell 2, and somewhere around summertime, we're finally going to be getting to our superhero epic, The Red Key. Um, so with knowing what we were getting into this year, I wanted something that was going to have a very quick turnaround because those two releases specifically are going to take us into 2023 before they're actually in our readers hands and so you know with 
what we went through last year and where we were headed into 2022 and 2023, um, you know, I started thinking about, you know, the, the reality, especially in independent publishing, um, the reality of having to assemble an entire team to put together a single book and how that can eat up months and months of time. And even if someone backs something and say May, they may not see it until you know, the following February, March. Um, so, you know, I've, I've always had a love for pulp and I started thinking about, you know, the, the production cycle of that, how it was written fast and consumed fast. And uh, around September of last year, I just started working on this thing that eventually grew into Long Shadow. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll, I'll probably have this done probably around February or March. And if I can bring someone on who's a talented illustrator and really quick, you know, it could be something that I could launch at the start of the year and have in people's hands by late May. So, you know, I reached out to Jeff Lasley, who did the uh, cover piece, and he'll be handling the interior illustrations. And, um, yeah, as soon as uh, he started doing production sketches, I knew he was the guy, and uh, I knew we could have that that quick turnaround time. Now, what kind of difference uh, is does it make in terms of the printer that you're using? Because you're not, you know, with it not printing a comic book, you're you're a different format, a different cut, different kind of paper, uh, different kind of binding, and all of that. Are you able to use the same printers that you normally use, or do you use a different printer for each each run? Um, we've been really lucky. We've been using the same printer for every run. And, um, so, you know, what people may not be aware of is, um, with the gods fear me and deep well, and moving forward with most of our other releases, we'll probably do the same thing. Uh, we, we've been doing these prequel novellas. Um, they come in at about 36 pages and, uh, the, you know, they're, that was, I guess that was kind of the start of it, you know, cause mm-hmm. the inspiration was pulp. And, um, you know, like with The Gods Fear Me, our main artist, Christian Rossi, he did the spot illustrations in that prequel novella. Um, You know, Raphael is wrapping up the main book, but then I'm going to move him over to the prequel novella for that one. And so, um, you know, like I did the test run with The Gods Fear Me novella and it came out looking great. And so we're going to stick with the same printer. And, you know, it's just formatting you know, the formatting might be a little bit different and uh, we're going to have to work on, you know, stuff like spine width and stuff like that. But, you know, what they ended up producing for that initial novella looked great and uh, gave me confidence that we could stick with them for a a bigger release. What kind of concerns did you have going into uh, the first of this kind of book? Because, you know, like you said, it's, it's different in terms of the kind of packaging and, and the supplies and the materials and stuff, but you've got to format it different. You have to prepare your files different. Mm-hmm. When when you were doing this kind of thing, okay, well, we've been doing comic books. Now I want to do a book. What kind of concerns were there at the beginning when you were first planning this sort of a project as opposed to a comic book? Um, well, the, the one thing that I told myself uh you know like i said i started about september ish and i'd say somewhere around halloween the the idea solidified of like okay let's let's start out the year this way 
Um, the main issue was, you know, actually completing the thing. Uh, because, you know, there's a difference between, you know, a, a short story that's maybe 36 pages and something that's going to come in at about 112 pages, which is basically like a light novel. Right. Um, so the main the main concern was finishing it. And I told myself if, you know, by January, I didn't have at least 75 pages done uh, that I wasn't going to launch it. And so, you know, January rolled around and I'm 80 pages in of 112 and i'm relatively confident that by february it'll be complete so i can spend those you know following months just kind of finessing and doing you know small revisions here and there uh that was the main concern uh the other the other concern was the the audience especially the audience that we've built up for ourselves here at chibi um you know audience reception and um it's you know i <laughs> I tend to, I tend to take on uh, big challenges when it comes to publishing. You know, like uh, with Deepwell, you know, just doing a Western period was uh, initially kind of a tough sell, until you know, like I, I eased people into the pool and got them used to it. Um, so it's it's the same thing here. You know, like the concept of pulp is something that's so dated, and it's a genre that by and large just doesn't exist anymore unless you're talking about reprints right um so you know i i knew heading into it it, it would be this thing of like all right no no it, it's cool the water's fine like come on in like i'm gonna show you why this thing is so cool and why we should why it's a genre that it, look it's never going to be huge and mainstream again but it's a genre that should exist and should have its its readers and fans and its its share of the market when you plan something like this out and you're looking at your costs because you know you're not you're not illustrating the entire thing you're just doing you know spot illustrations i guess you could say your expenses are not as great i would expect but uh what what kind of turnaround time though you're talking about uh, you know february and 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 on and, and it sounds like what six month turnaround on some of this stuff how much how much do you try to have done ahead of time before you know you launch the campaign you get the money you because right now your expenses are going to be less than you know fewer than it would be for a comic book right. and then and then the amount of work that's done i mean it's basically you're just taking a you're taking a a for for lack of a better description, a, a word document, you format it to fit whatever file it needs to be for the printer. Mm -hmm. Are you still playing with that same amount of turnaround time that you would with a comic book? Are you able to get these things out faster? Oh yeah, it's going to be way faster, man. Uh, you know, like so in terms of production cost, um, our budgets for crowdfunding campaigns start at a base of six thousand. You know. Um, the God's Fear Me 2 uh, is going to be 48 pages, so we're bumping that budget up to 8,000. Right. Um, but with comics, our base is 6,000. And, you know, immediately, you know, Jeff is producing illustrations for it, but there's only going to be about, I, I we haven't nailed it down yet, but call it somewhere between 15 and 25. Um, so, you know, that's a way more affordable budget than producing you know, like a full 
like 32 to 48 page book with like, you know, colors and letters and all that. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like we were able to set our funding at, you know, 4,000, uh, that'll cover production. That'll cover the, you know, get them shipping the books to us and us shipping the books out to them. So it's, it's way more affordable in that regard. And yeah, I, you know, the, what we're going to, what I'm going to have to do is once Jeff has finished the illustrations, I'm going to have to sit down and, you know, like format each individual page and build the flow of the text around each illustration. Um, you know, like I've been, uh, I actually have it here. I've been rereading, uh, Solomon Kane, um, right. uh, f- with illustrations by, uh, Gary Gianni. And I've been, you know, taking notes on like how he, his approach to, you know, scaling the text around the illustrations so yeah you know if um let's say jeff is done by the end of march i'll probably spend a month from that point doing that formatting and yeah we'll just get it off to the printer like sometime by the end of april and as soon as they give me the copies i'll start sending them out do you have a, a a fixed number of copies you're going to do? Or are you waiting for for uh, the campaign to close to figure out how many you're going to need? Because that's going to affect your cost too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, we we have all this stuff worked out. Um, so basically, we need a base of about uh, eighty five backers to get us funded, and the uh, printing budget for that number will allow us to print up about 500 copies. Okay. So, you know, uh, they'll all get their books and that leaves wiggle room for extra backers between now and May. And then whatever's left, you know, we'll just, uh, you know, throw up on a CG now, like we do with all of our other titles. Now, what kind of swag do you think would work better with this kind of book? Because I've seen with the comic books, I've seen bookmarks, I've seen action figures, I've seen, stickers i've seen pogs i've seen challenge coins i've seen uh sketch cards and and ash cans and all that kind of thing what what kind of what kind of perks were discussed that maybe didn't make the final campaign um well the the biggest one uh the the new the new hotness that i've seen in crowdfunding campaigns is uh i really like those clear plastic standees Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I really like those, but, um, I, I got a couple quotes, uh, from some friends of mine that have gone with them. And, uh, while we might do that for the red key, um, because I, I'm anticipating people are really going to dig the red key. Um, but, uh, for this one, for like a small release and the, the budget that we're working with, it just wasn't there, but you know, um, you know, our, on the campaign, we've got the the swag bag like we do with all of our books. And um, what's neat about the swag bag is um, that's kind of where all of our, you know, anticipated stretch goal stuff went so that we could just focus on one main stretch goal, which is if we can double our budget and hit 8,000 by the time we're ready to go to print, uh, I'm going to put together a... Uh, a world guide to long shadow that is going to kind of look and feel like the old D and D monster manuals. Oh, okay. That sounds like fun. Yeah. So is long shadow going to be a new 
story universe then there are other that are uh, there are other stories to be told in this world i would imagine yeah it's um i really like the idea of starting out each year with this quick burst of entertainment to kind of carry people through until uh our larger projects are back from the printer and in people's hands so if you know, if we if we reach funding and this book finds the audience that I'm hoping that it finds, uh, I'm happy to keep producing these once a year for the foreseeable future. I've got an initial trilogy planned out, and if that goes well, uh, there are two more trilogies that kind of make up this like one giant like Uber trilogy. So we'll see how it goes. Now that you've got seven campaigns under your belt. What kind of adjustments have you found you've had to make between your first campaign and what you're currently doing now? What lessons have you learned of, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that again? Right, right. <laughs> um, I mean, thankfully, uh, thankfully, I haven't hit that wall. Um, I, you know, around the second week or so of Deepwell, uh, I had the conversation with Selena, my, my wife and publishing partner. Uh, I had the conversation of like, all right, I think I've made a mistake. Um, but, you know, by the time we were closing in on the, the final stretch of days there, um, the audience, the audience really backed us up. Our, our readers, uh, you know, supported us. And, you know, it's, there are some campaigns where within the first, like, 24 to 48 hours, the entire thing's funded. And uh, with something as niche as a pulp novel, uh, I knew that that wasn't going to be the case. I knew it was going to be a marathon instead of, you know, a short sprint. Um, you know, like, it, in terms of, like, what I wouldn't do, there's there's production issues. Um, you know, making sure that you, that you have the right team, uh, making sure that you can get people to commit, you know, um, but there's still, especially again, when you're dealing with independent publishing, um, there's still going to be pitfalls that you just can't plan for, you you know, like, like with both, um, the gods fear me and deep. Well, um, you know, I, I always say, I hate the phrase these trying times, but it really was a case of like, uh, COVID and the effect that it had on the, the entire world really did affect production you know like some people on those two books you know had family issues um some people some people on those two books you know had had work and commitment issues that we kind of had to juggle around to make it work and so you just kind of you just kind of have to stay on your toes and you just have to be honest with your backers you know if there's a delay tell them that there's a delay and uh you know i think as long as you're up front most people are understanding about it well, and I think now, too, you have, with with the crowdfunding model having been used so many times now mm-hmm. from from people who have done it more than once, it's not just, you know, I'm, I'm going to make a comic book, I'm one and done, I disappear. Uh, there are a number of you guys who are sustaining some kind of effort, whether it's a comic book or a novel in your case, games. I've seen some I've seen some board games come through and start to start to get funded. And I'm sitting here thinking, okay, well, if this is now a proven model, 
sustainable mm-hmm. model because a lot of people we hear we heard at the very beginning, oh, this isn't sustainable. It's not sustainable. And of course, the complaints about projects being delayed still is a thing. Yeah. But I think the track record is such that now you could probably get away with doing a novel like you're doing, whereas four or five years ago, maybe not as easily. Oh, yeah. Because, no so you know, it's, now it's just, happened. yeah, it's, it's like, you want to do what? You want, you want right. how much money for this thing? Um, right. And it actually has me thinking that I might, I might need to, I might need to explore expanding my book and, and crowdfunding it. A, a new one a new version of it who knows maybe it'll maybe it'll sell this time yeah uh, basically the the proving ground for us being able to do this was uh my uh my buddy red gaze uh he has a book called sunsworn and mm-hmm. uh it's a book book um you know he crowdfunded that first volume about a year and a half ago now and uh i i told him i'm like look you're gonna do a book yeah um, but he made it work and it found its audience. And I was like, okay, like he just, he proved and like, you know, a couple others since then have proved like they're, while it's not as big or as voracious as, you know, like people clamoring for superhero stuff or just other genre comic book stuff. Um, there, there is a market for people who, you know, want an alternative to what's out there in terms of the, the mainstream paperback market. So you know, it's it's doable. Yeah, well, and I and I think also about Clint Stoker's first couple of attempts at crowdfunding because he's he's written prose books before he got into comic books, right? And you know, to hear him tell it, probably not the best performance on those, but you know, yeah. he's he's found his niche with Downcast, and he's working on that mm-hmm. Dracula thing, and Fatal is coming. Uh, Fatal is what. Three hundred dollars away from a hundred thousand or something on his yeah. campaign. It's it's just going gangbusters, mm-hmm. and the opportunity for finding talent because you mentioned you, you know you look at something like Fatal, mm-hmm. where you have uh, Charlie Snogans doing the artwork, and nobody had ever heard of him from Adam because he was in the advertising world, and now right. here he is drawing Fatal, and everybody's looking at this incredible artwork and thinking, where has this guy been? And why isn't he drawing comics? And Charlie, why aren't you drawing comics? And and, and <laughs> it looks to me this is a this is a place where there are a lot of people who are doing this who might not otherwise have any kind of an opportunity to be discovered, whether they've got talent or not. You know, you can you that's that's all subjective to, for the most mm-hmm. part. But people have this opportunity to at least try something and and get the book out there. And let the chips fall where they may. And if if people like it, great. And if they don't, you know, it's a dud, then, okay, we learn something. We try again later. We do some adjustments or whatnot. But it's also an opportunity to discover new talent because everybody's talking to everybody. Everybody's talking about everyone. You're looking at all of these campaigns. Well, have you seen this one? Have you looked at this one? I've checked out this one and, and that kind of thing. And you get these artists, you get these writers that nobody's heard of, and now suddenly they're just blowing up because they're doing six or seven different books. I mean, Eric Weathers comes out of nowhere, and is now he's you know he's lettering every book, and and it's yeah. that kind of thing where you get this showcase of talent, and and it's like anything else, cream rises to the top, and you get your you get your people that are really good at this thing. 
and that's on not just the creative side, but you have people that may be really talented writers, really good artists, and the campaign just fizzles because they can't do that part of it. You know, the PR and the marketing and and the promotion and all that other stuff. You know, putting putting all of the nuts and bolts together in this thing. So you got to really be kind of both left brain and right brain on this. You've got to have the ability to analyze what what went right in this campaign, what went wrong in this campaign, how do we make adjustments to this, and then also planning ahead for the next campaign. What do we do different? What do we you know? What do we do the same and all of that? I, it's it's uh, it's an interesting conundrum that that. To see the people who are doing this over and over and over again, it tells me that this thing's not going away anytime soon. Right. There's no reason for it to. I mean, it it is sustainable. You know, like there are always on the audience side, there's always going to be the people who are like, "Where's my book?" And yeah, they're not wrong. I mean, you know, they're the the customers totally justified in expecting us to hold up our end if, if i say if i say february and it's june before you get your book you have a right to say hey this is late yeah. um but you know that being said for the most part the audience is understanding and that's helped create this business model where there's there's grace for you know delays um we don't aim for delays and you know i'm you know we're certainly trying to improve those heading into our releases this year um, but it's sustainable and yeah, it's, it's that thing where you, I, I think what separates, you know, and, and we notice this with people coming over from the mainstream. Um, I think there's a difference between crowdfunding a campaign and like just being a writer or just being an artist. You know, I, I'm what I'm finding is the people who aren't comfortable with being a full on publisher are the ones who are having the issues where it's like they make it their book funded, but they don't promote it. And they're they're assuming that, you know, their name and clout coming from be it Marvel or DC or wherever is just going to, you know, get them a blank check and then they can deliver whenever they deliver. Yeah. And that's that's not how it works. Like it's. It's not just about writing the book. It's not just about drawing it. It's you're a publisher. You know, it's it's funny you say that because uh, as as long as I've been doing this now, mm-hmm. this particular show in in it specifically, one thing that has struck me, and I and I talked to Anne Crispin about it uh, before she died. We were talking talking about her prior to the Caribbean book, mm-hmm. uh, and I've and I've talked to Vonda McIntyre about it. This idea that the authors of novels are expected to do more in the way of promotions and marketing and PR and all that. It used to be the traditional publishing company, they'd go, they'd go all out and they'd do it all themselves. And now yeah. the authors are expected to do a lot of that. And they do the heavy lifting now. It's not the publisher that does the majority of it. And it surprises me, and, and maybe it shouldn't, but I've been surprised at how many people I interview about their work who don't share the interview who don't who don't sit there and say hey i was on a show talking about my book right. go see and it's not it's not 
about me. <coughs> it's not about my show. It's about these people get an opportunity to talk about their work, and then they don't tell anybody about it. And, it, and right, right. how how do you how do you do that? So it's you know <coughs> I see you know Douglas Ernst is always putting dropping links about about interviews that he's done. Declan Finn's done it. I don't know. It's almost like there's a disconnect. Like you're saying, you know, you're an author or you're an artist and that's what you do. And you right. don't do any of the rest of it. You have to learn how to do all of the rest of it. So, well, yeah, I mean, we saw this, we saw this argument over the past, you know, two, three years now play out where, you know, you would get these, these writers and be it in, in the prose industry or the comic industry, you would get these writers and a, a good couple artists too who would make the argument that their client was the publisher and not the person buying the book. And it's like, no, they're, they're all your client, man. Yeah. Um, they're all your client. And you know, if, if you have an editor or a publisher that's kind of, you know, cushioned you from that other side of it, I mean, that's great, but you can't, you can't leave that cushy position and just be like, well, it's still going to translate when I do it on my own. It's, it's just not like you have to, what's the phrase? You have to sing for your supper. Like, right. You, you, you have to earn every single sale. And, you know, I, I guess with Selena and I coming from independent publishing to begin with, you know, and, you know, we spent, we spent the first decade of our career just kind of working on the fringes of comics and everything else that we did, we did on our own. So coming into this space, um, we were, we were prepared for just, you know, doing meet and greets and interviews and talking to people, networking, just earning every single sale. And, you know, to a degree, we have to start that process over with every new book. You know, it, right. it helps little by little that we, you know, we build up an email list, we build up, you know, an, uh, an audience, but, you know, people have different tastes. So you can't assume that everyone that backed, samurai and dinosaurs two plus years ago is going to come over for long shadow or whatever you know it's and you know we're seeing that no that's not true you know so with every project we just treat it like we're starting over and you know we're just we're building up that audience for that book and on that note i've got an idea i want to run past you when we get back we're going to take a real quick break we're talking to mike murphy about his new book long shadow and the prince of echoes and we're going to take a real quick break we'll be right back after this don't go anywhere remember no matter where you go there you are this is sci-fi for me radio the concept of flying cars uh, is just a terrible terrible idea yeah. it is a disastrous idea people can't drive on a level flat surface yeah. let alone you know it's it, Trust me, this is one of those things where you want Khan to be thinking two-dimensionally. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. little high energy metal to get us through the day 
Welcome back, everyone. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here, along with author Mike Murphy, okay. who is currently crowdfunding the book Long Shadow and the Prince of Echoes, uh, very much in the style of the old pulps, Tarzan, Doc Savage. What other influences? Well, what what influences? I'm assuming that Tarzan's in there, but you know that could be a mistake on my part. So, what has uh, what has influenced the type of story that uh, that you're telling with Long Shadow? Um, so, I, I definitely say that Robert E. Howard uh, is a huge influence. You know, like I, I showed off the the compendium of uh, Solomon Kane, and there's a lot of uh, Conan in there. Right. Um, uh, there's also a lot of the shadow, you know, um, I grew up with the pulps, so, you know, I, I grew up with like these rows and rows of like shadow and doc savage reprints, like, you know, all over the walls. <clears throat> um, you know, like it's, it's, I find, I don't intend to, but it, it tends to be this approach that I take with most of my work where it's kind of everything that I love about the genre distilled down a little bit, you know, with deep well it was you know like here's a here's a bit of you know um here's a bit of this here's a bit of the, here like here's a bit of unforgiven here's a bit of you know um um deadwood you know and now add a bit of like shakespearean family drama into it and it's the same with uh long shadow it's you know it's all the pulp stuff that i really dig it's it's the aspects of pulp you know like i talk about the the kind of like gritty uh on pc because i mean you know i know most people most people weren't alive during pulp's heyday i certainly wasn't but you know doing reading about it um it's it really kind of was the black sheep of the publishing industry you know it's yeah. where it's where all the fun stuff was to be honest you know yeah and it's and it's where the authors went to just dump the dump the adventure stories that nobody was going to read Exactly. Uh, it found a very specific audience. It didn't get that broad literature type of label to it. It was it was the cast offs. Sure. And you know, I mean, from that it it grew into this huge industry. I mean, you look at I mean, specifically if we're just talking about something like The Shadow, I mean, uh, you know, others have done breakdowns of how big the shadow was at its heyday and in a lot of regards like the shadow was bigger than batman you know which was a direct influence you know there were there were radio dramas there were several movies like i i think at one point like two movies based on the shadow were released in one year um like it it, it became this like industry into unto itself and you know i i just i really liked the idea of playing in that realm and yeah. yeah like robert e howard was definitely at the forefront of it but you know i i wanted to put my own spin on it and i like the idea of an ogre that leaves behind its way his way of life and tries to enter the world of man uh you know solving mysteries how much world building have you done for all of this because back in the day when when uh, the pulp novelists were putting this stuff together. There wasn't a whole lot in terms of, you know, spreadsheets and research and documentation. And, you know, here right. are all these character bios and continuity sheets and all these other things. How much planning has gone into all of this? What have you done for world building? 
Um, so I, uh, I have a map. <laughs> um, you know, um, I'd say a decent amount, but you know, not overly analytical. I'm giving myself room for, you know, uh, course correction and, you know, changing my mind on stuff if it comes to it. But there, there's a fair amount of world building. Like, I know where he comes from. I know where he's going. You know, like I talked about the hypothetical, like, you know, uh, three trilogies. You know, it's it's definitely a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that's kind of the approach that I take with all my work. You know, I it's rare that I start a story without knowing how it's going to end. And uh, I find that if you know what you're doing, a lot of the stuff in between there kind of fills in the blanks on its own. So, um, you know, I know his cast. I I know some of the stuff he's going to be going up against, uh, especially heading into the sequels. And um, yeah, like I've, I've developed a nice enough sandbox that now, like when I, you know, sit down to write, I can just play without worrying about like, well, you know, what's in this part of the world or, you know, what is the Prince of Echoes and what does that mean for books two and three? Like, I've got that stuff roughly worked out. And how how much time between book one, book two, book three? Because some people are talking about, you know, three months between them, six months between them, not not particularly your titles, but you know, other people that are just like, well, we're going to do... We're going to release them in, in a three-month cycle. How, how much time are you going to do between each one? Oh, it's, it'll be, it'll be, you know, a full year, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have this out the door by May and, uh, those, those other two releases, you know, God's Fear Me Too and The Red Key, uh, those are going to take up the bulk of my year. Um, especially, especially The Red Key. I I think The God's Fear Me is a known property at this point and hopefully our audience will return for the sequel and we can build upon that. But, um, the red key, I, I'm really, really pushing to be our big thing for the year, especially with Stefani, uh, Stefani Renee on art. You know, I think people have been waiting for that book for over a year now. Uh, we had some delays because, a, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, Stefani had some, you know, personal family issues going on, and yeah. that delayed his book, Thomas Moria, which you know delayed ours. But um, yeah, with with uh, Long Shadow, it, you know, I want to do one a year. Um, I'd love to do more, but again, especially since these are crowdfunded, you know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with having more than one or two at most books in production without having something that's actively fulfilling. Yeah. In terms of audience. You talk about, you know, the the pulp novels have the niche. You're looking for a smaller number of backers on something like this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the tradition of the pulps back in the day, they were they were specifically aimed at a specific audience as well. And with the split in comics between Comicsgate and non-Comicsgate, and I'm not going to align myself with anyone, and anti-Comicsgate and all of this, there are a number of projects out there that are Comicsgate only approach, which is basically, you know, I'm only going to back a Comicsgate project. I'm only going to promote fellow Comicsgaters and all of that. Sure. At what point do we get to the to the to the moment past that where 
this book is for anyone who wants to buy it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying um, that you're doing that. I'm just, you know, because, you know, associations and, and reputations being what they are, mm-hmm. you know, at some point we've got to get, get to, I'm just an indie creator. Right. Um, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely a part of Comicsgate. I have been since uh, the tail end of 2018. You know, um, the the audience for CG has, uh, you know, not to get too sappy about it, but it's literally saved Selena and I. Um, yeah. You know, we we came in to CG at a really difficult, dark part of our lives when we were just considering walking away from freelancing, walking away from publishing altogether. Um, you know, we were just going to be like, all right, this is, this is it. Let's, let's go be adults now. And, you know, we took our best shot. Um, so it's never something that I'm not going to associate, not be proud of. Um, I, CG has given us a second chance as working adults in comic publishing. So that, that has to be something that, you know, uh, any potential audience or reader is comfortable with. Um, but, but that being said, you know, it's from day one, I've taken the approach of, you know, Hey, I, I love CG. I'm, I'm a part of CG, but I want everyone to read our books. Now, if, if the CG association puts you off, Hey, I, I apologize for that. Um, but you know, like I, I know that we've had readers on our past books who, either didn't know or didn't care about CG and uh, backed us regardless. And, you know, hopefully those numbers start to equal, uh, if not grow, uh, our main CG audience. And, yeah, I just, I think, I think the core tenets of CG, the idea of uh, customer service, the idea of putting out work that you know, allows you to hold your integrity and not compromise for the sake of politics or an agenda that, you know, your, your publishers and higher ups are trying to push onto their entire line, uh, stuff like that. I, I think those work ethics are going to be important moving forward, you know, as CG continues to grow and evolve and, you know, I mean, hopefully one day not be necessary. Yeah. Well, and, and the flip side of that, too, though, is you've got you've got a number of people who 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 came into Comicsgate, the complaint being, you know, there's too much politics and preaching and, and messaging in mainstream comics. And the danger, <clears throat> the risk, I guess you could say, is the pendulum swinging the other way. I mean, you've got things out there like. um oh, <coughs> Well, uh, what was that? What's the what's the one that Timothy Lim does that's got uh, Trump as a uh, a character? Oh, right. Um, you know, uh, the, like Wall Force or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. And it's clearly a parody. It's clearly something that's right. just over the top. But somebody looks at that and says, oh, you know, you're complaining about politics and comics, and you're making this alt right political book. Uh, and I sure. think, I, okay, I yeah, but how much? How important is it? That your personal political ideology, whatever that is, mm-hmm. left or right, how much of that gets left on the table over here? How much of it is in the book? Do you sure. try um, to do you try to massage that and and 
avoid getting too deep in the weeds on on that kind of thing? Yeah, um, absolutely. Like I, I know the political ar- argument is an aspect of CG, and uh, while I do feel that it's an important part of the conversation, it's it's one that I. I don't try to sidestep it's it's just not it doesn't factor into my work you you know the the stuff like the tim lim work and other people who have done like you know political stuff in nature it has been mostly parody and it has been you know the you know just in good fun i mean you, you know like i'm i'm old enough to remember you know the early to mid 90s like there there were books that were self published that you know you know, dealt directly with presidents, both on the left and right. And, you know, that stuff still managed to find its way into comic shops without people like, you know, having to protest about it. Um, I I just think sensibilities have changed. And, you know, I would argue for the worst, but it is what it is. Sensibilities yeah. have changed. And I think people should be allowed to make those books still if they want to. Uh but like I said, with, with our work, it's just, it's never been a thing. Um, you know, my politics are, my politics are center-ish, but uh, I, I'd say more these days starting to lean towards, you know, anarcho-capitalism <laughs> a, a bit, a bit, a bit. Um, but, you know, like, I, it's not like, there's there's a whole nother line of books right there, right? Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's not like um, it's not like I'm gonna do my take on anarchy from DC, and you know he's gonna be this vigilante pushing for like property rights. Yeah, like yeah. That's, yeah. it'll be crypto that's next not what time. I'm interested in. You have have a right. hero named cryptocurrency or something. You know, cri- right, crypto exactly. coin. Exactly. Like it's just that's not what I'm interested in doing. Yeah. Um, what I'm interested in doing is like, okay, like there, there are certain books that for political reasons are no longer in vogue in the mainstream. Yeah. And it just so happens that those, in, those books dovetail with my interests. So if you feel that, you know, where superheroes are at right now is in your cup of tea, well, here's the red key because this is the book that I wish existed right now. Um, if there's a lot in sci-fi that's not doing it for you, well, we've got something coming down the pike next year and we've got stuff like that's fair me and, you know, on and on and on. Like, um, I think, I think the harder that some of these multi-million dollar companies push this stuff, the harder the pushback against it is going to get. And if you need like a mainstream example of that, um, something like Yellowstone just finished off its fourth season with 11 million viewers. Right. I mean, that is the audience saying this is the type of stuff that we want. Do you see at all any time indie publishing, whether it's crowdfunded on Indiegogo or Kickstarter or Substack or any of those, do you see any of those books hitting the shelves of comic book stores and, and bookstores in any measurable number at any point. I mean, I occasionally I'll see one or two mentions that some comic book shop has, has alternate titles or got this, got this indie comic over there, but I don't see a whole lot of that in the main. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Do you do you think at some point it's going to be a, an option where the retailers are going to be looking at this a little bit more, a little bit more focused and say, well, maybe this actually is something that we can sell in our stores. At what point, how does that change the dynamic of what you guys are doing? Sure. Um, I mean, I I think you know you 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 say measurable i don't know about measurable at least in the short term um you know like we have we have our books in in a couple of stores uh and it's a it's a case-by-case basis of either the store reaching out to us or us you know like we tried with the god's fair me we we tried we had a retailer tier i wrote to a good two dozen comic shops across the country you know asking if they were interested got no responses from any of them uh and only one person backed the retailer tier um but you know that when we launched the gods fear me it was it was kind of a different world from where we're at now i mean you know diamond isn't the figure in the industry that it was two plus years ago Mm -hmm. and i think you're seeing a lot of shops realizing that the the amount of money that publishers like DC and Marvel are asking them to bring to the table in order to carry their books doesn't, doesn't equal out when it comes to the actual sales. So I think you are starting to see a a decent amount of shops realizing like, well, okay, we have to diversify if we want to keep, you know, our, our doors open, you know, there's, and, you know, there's the joke of like, Oh, it's, it's all just, you know, Funko pop figures. And, <clears throat> sure, there are stores that have to do that, but you know, I I know of a good two or three stores that are planned to open this year that have flat out said uh, we're not going to be carrying you know new comics. It's going to be independent stuff. It's going to be backlog stuff. You know, like I, I know Gary from Neurotic is talking about that when he's settled in Texas. Yeah. Um, I think call it three to five years from now, I think we may be looking at a completely different approach to stocking, you know, shelves and at most comic shops. I, I like to imagine at least. Yeah. What comic shops are left anyway, right? Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. that's a whole other issue. All right. The book is long shadow and the Prince of echoes. It's going on now <coughs> over at Indiegogo. Uh, let me double check and make sure I do believe that we've got that in the notes if we don't i'll put it in here as soon as we get done and uh you can also find mike over on uh twitter chibi underscore mike mm-hmm. is uh is his handle over there and you guys have a you have have a website for chibi comics uh, uh no we don't uh that's okay. that's on the docket this year probably between guts for me too and uh red key we're going to be developing something okay and then uh, between between all of the stuff you've got working now Mm-hmm. What else is coming down the pipeline? What are, what have you got planned? What are the what are the if only we were able to do X, you know, because of time or money or resources, what's the right. what's the next thing coming down the pike? Uh well, you know, the the two books that uh, I've been mentioning are our next two major releases. Um you know, depending on where we're at after Red Key, hopefully sometime in the fall we can do a deep well too. Uh, because we'll be in, like I said, we'll be in fulfillment on that around like late March, early April. Um, 
but yeah, heading into 2023, that's that's kind of going to be an interesting point for us as a company because you know if if Long Shadow pro- uh, proves to be sustainable and if the red key goes how I'm hoping that it goes, um, that might open some doors in terms of like our our output and potentially reaching out to other people to help us develop stuff so that we can turn out more product and you know on a, a faster more sustainable timeline as well yeah. um so you know um you know heading into 2023 you'll have the red key 2 you'll have uh the gods fear me 3 which will be the final book in that series and uh yeah like hopefully towards the end of 2023 uh deep well 3 and then we can start moving into what would be phase two for us as a company. So, uh, you know, some new titles. Uh, there's a book called uh, The Dark Moon Agency that uh, I've had on the burner for three or four years now that hopefully we can get off the ground. And um, by then, people will see that everything that we've been building isn't... I hate the... I, I don't like the term shared universe like it's it's less mcu and it's more the stephen king approach to shared universes where it's like each each story is self-contained but like if you know hopefully if you're a reader who reads all of our stuff you're going to start noticing like you know x connects to y connects to z uh without being intrusive to the narrative yeah All right, well, good luck with everything. Mike Murphy, his second appearance on the show, done and in the can. We will definitely have you back to talk about the next project. And uh, in the meantime, good luck with everything. Stay on track. Stay on target. That's what Uh, we're doing. You guys are doing some good stuff over there. All right, and thanks to everyone for being here as well. Just want to remind you that we are on a lot of different social media platforms. We're not on TikTok yet. Uh, several video platforms. We've got a newsletter you can sign up for, the tip jar, the subscribe star. If you have material you want us to review, there's our mailing address there as well. And uh, you can send us that. And uh, that's going to do it for us today. I will leave you with this thought. The only thing that travels faster than bad news is coffee. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. We will be back tomorrow with more Live from the Bunker. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2022 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.